Hello and welcome to the Superposition Guys podcast. My name is Yuval, and my guests today are Professor Eduardo Miranda and Brian Siegelwachs, authors of Teaching Qubits to Sing, Mission Impossible, a fascinating work about creating music with quantum computers. Eduardo, Brian, and I talk about how the program works, their plans for future work, finishing Schubert's Unfinished Symphony, and much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode, but before we start, here's an example of those singing qubits. Professor Miranda, hello Brian. Thanks for joining me today. Thank hello. you. Hello. So, Eduardo, who are you and what do you do? I am um, Eduardo Miranda. I am a professor in computer music at the University of Plymouth. And uh, currently, I am developing research into um, using quantum computers to create music. And Brian, who are you and what do you do? I am Brian Siegelwax. I write code, I write about code, and I also recruit people who write code. Fantastic. And we are here to talk about singing qubits, right? The qubit choir. Martha, you've, you've been on the Qubit Guys podcast before, and I know you're um, using quantum computers to compose uh, music. Could, you, could one of you or both of you tell me how this singing qubits project came about? Um, well, I think um, Brian and I have been communicating in social media, uh, exchanging some ideas and, and so on. And I think naturally we, uh, um, I, I think both of us wanted to develop something together. And, um, and then I think the, uh, the opportunity to, to develop a, a generative music system came about. Um, we exchanged some ideas about you know how um, we could implement how we could find a, a simple way to program a quantum computer to generate sequences of things. Um, and it is um, uh, Brian can probably tell you a little bit more about how the the te technical idea came came up. But the um, the uh, the inspiration I had was. Um, well, if you can generate sequences of musical notes, um, what would be a, an interesting instrument to play the sequences? Um, and at the time, coincidentally, I, I was working with um, vocal synthesis. Then I said, okay, so let's hook this uh, quantum system to, to a vocal synthesizer and uh, let's make the qubits to sing. So... So Brian, if I understand correctly, there's a vocal synthesizer, which means that I could put in any file or collection of notes and it would generate the singing sound. And the quantum part is the part that composes the sequence of the notes. Is that correct? Correct. So we started with a sample file and we use that to generate the rules. And then the rules get encoded into the amplitudes of the qubits 
and then the qubits decide what the sequence will be? So let me get this straight. Um, so if I have, you know, do-re-mi-fa-sol-a-c, uh, usually the next note would be a do, right? Or in English, mm-hmm. A, B, C, E, F, uh, G, and then A. So that sounds like a probabilistic state machine, right? Uh, you say, well, if this is, this is the sequence, then the next note with high probability or with some probability is this and, and that and so That's on. It. How is that different than the quantum uh, generation? Okay, so the, the system has two, uh, two phases, um, what we call a learning phase and a generative phase. The learning phase is pretty um, uh, classical, so to speak. What we do, we input music into the system, then we uh, statistically measure you know, um, how, how many times not X follows not Y, or how many times uh, three notes follow other four notes, uh, things like that. So we build, we build a set of rules, then we put these rules into a... Into, um, um, what would be the equivalent of a transition matrix? Okay, and then, um, so that is the, the learning phase. So we can input anything, any musical sequences to the system. The system will um, work out what these rules are. Then the, the classical way of doing this would be to program the machine to, to go through this transition table and pick notes that would follow certain probabilistic, you know, Gaussian or whatever um, tendencies. Um, but um, um, we found a, an easier way to do that, which is, which is, uh, you know, use the quantum machine uh, to to build quantum states uh, with the amplitudes uh, reflecting those prob- those probabilities. So uh, it is a much more, in my view, elegant way. And I think you know we can scale this up um, in the future uh, much easier than if we were going to continue doing this classically. So Brian, maybe you could talk to me a little bit about what's going on on the inside. You know, w- how does the uh, quantum circuit look? You know, how do you prepare the state? What are you measuring on the output? Could you tell me a little bit about that, please? Yeah, the interesting thing is there's no one circuit to show. They're all generated on the fly. So let's say uh, we want to use three notes to generate the next note. And, and let's say we have ABC and we go through this original tune and we're counting how many times ABC appears. So let's say for argument's sake, ABC appears 10 times and seven times the next note in the sequence is D, and three times the next note in the sequence is E. And they, they're all binary coded. So let's say 0, 0, 0 is A, 0, 0, 1 is B, and so forth. So what we have is, and from your standpoint, Yuval, it's the classic state preparation function. So we have, we want 0% probability of 0, 0, 0, A, uh, zero for B, zero for C, then 70% for D, 30% for E, zero for the others. So you have eight probabilities, except that we used Kiskit's initialized function, which requires us to convert that into amplitude. So we have to take the square root of the probabilities. We have to take one extra step. And then the initialized function generates the circuit on the fly. 
So it'll generate a circuit in this case that when we measure it, we'll have a 70% probability of measuring uh, one zero, I got ahead of myself. What's D one zero one one, whatever it is, but uh, zero one one, I think, uh, which is D and then one zero zero or whatever E is. And then let's say we measure D. I should be able to do this in my head faster, but anyway, um, so then we have BCD as the sequence. Then we look back in the transition matrix and we have another round of amplitudes and the initialized function generates a completely different circuit that when measured produces the, the output in the probabilities that, not that we want, but the probabilities that came from that original file. So you end up with a tune that sounds somewhat like the original, but depending on how many notes we use, we can alter how, how much it sounds like the original how much it sounds different, how much variety there is. But the, the core piece, the quantum piece, is, is uh, generating those circuits that get measured in the probabilities for the allowed next notes. And what type of music did you use as input? Was it Bach? Was it the Beatles? Was it uh, Beethoven? What, what was going on there? We, we, we use a number of things. I mean, um, we, we use classical, classical melodies, uh, classical music melodies like Bach, Mozart, uh, whatever. Um, and then um, uh, we, um, it so happened that I had a few MIDI files um, for um, film, film music. And um, so we had this quirk idea, let's, let's use the, uh, for the paper, the uh, tune of, of from the Mission Impossible film, because you know it's kind of uh, is it possible to program qubits to sing? Is it a Mission Impossible? No, it is not. It is possible. So that 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 is the uh, the, the tunes that are uh, f- um, mentioned in the paper are from the Mission Impossible um, theme, and we also use a, a Bach a cello. Uh, sequence uh, uh, to show that it's uh, it's it's it's, it's ge- generic. You know the, what we do. Was there a particular type of music that worked better, that was more deterministic, or that was easier to to sort of follow? Um, no, I, I think um, because we are dealing with uh, probabilities, uh, you know, it's a stochastic model. Um, those those inputs that are more repetitive. Um, we tend to generate music that are more similar to the input. But those, those pieces of music where the notes vary more, where, you know, there are no obvious um, you know, a beat or, or a, you know, a, a pattern that uh, you can identify quite immediately. Um, so these, for me as a composer, generate more interesting results. Um, what what we are we are what we are doing now is trying to go beyond the the only generated sequences of notes, um, because I think now you know, we we have the beauty of this uh, core quantum algorithm that generates sequences. Um, what I'm going to do now is to provide uh, Brian with um, uh, codes that would represent um, other things in the composition. For example, um, di- di- dynamics, speed, 
um, uh, maybe more voices. And because we are dealing with um, speech synthesis, there are things in, in speech that are quite interesting, like um, uh, intonation, prosody, things that relate quite well with speech research. So I think that what we are doing can have a nice connection with um, quantum natural language processing, for example. I know these, uh, these works are very symbolic. They are looking just at written words. But I think we have a potential here to add the synthesis part, the actual rendering of, of the speech, which will then give another dimension to the to, to language, which is the inflection of the speech, the emotions, and things like that. So I think it, it's, this is where music can feed in quite interesting in, in scientific um, research. You mentioned speed and dynamics, but the current circuit generates the melody. Are you Correct. working on generating the harmony as well? Yes, we are. We are doing that. So, um, of course, uh, the uh, the encoding of these materials will kind of explode the the dimensions we are dealing with. So, at the moment, we have two dimensions, which is pitch, the and the duration of the note. But if we begin to add other elements, like what instruments plays this. Um, what is the loudness of this note? How do we actually play it? Is it a plucked string? Is it a bowed string? Is it a consonant? Is it a vowel? So once you begin to add these other dimensions, then it's here where I think the quantum computation will become quite powerful. I assume this still needs, or for the foreseeable future, this is still going to need a lot of human supervision. So, for instance, how would the quantum computer know when the piece ends and how to end it? Usually, I mean, you you might add, add it, end it on a dominant node or or something else. How would that work, for instance? Um, I think it's possible to automate this as well. I mean, it's not. I think these are uh, what we say the cherry on the cake, so to speak. After we've got the core thing working, then. I believe that the details can be honed, you know, and, and um, um, further um, incorporated into the formalisms. So these are things that I needed to to liaise very close with Brian, so that we, you know, we keep the beauty of the model, uh, but uh, you know, use you know what we've got and try to to scale it up, you know, to more number of qubits and and and, and so on. There was a book that was uh, quite popular several years ago called uh, Sleeping with Schubert. And it was about this lady who became uh, obsessed. You know, something got into her and she uh, started thinking like Schubert. And, and then, of course, she also finished the unfinished symphony. <laughs> how, how far in the future do you think that you'll be able to automatically finish the unfinished? Um, I think we um, technology for doing this you know, we, we more or less know how to do this because the, there are examples of, of composers that um, programmed, you know, classic AI to do this sort of thing. So we've got the, uh, the Mahler symphony finished. We've got the Schubert symphony finished. We have a Beethoven symphony finished. So there, there, there are, of course, these, um, these outputs are not, um, I would say, 
um, very realistic in the sense that it's easy to spot that was done by a machine. But the, the know-how for doing this, I think it's already out there. Um, what we need to do is to perfect this. And, and I believe that, uh, you know, my, because I am so enthusiastic about the quantum uh, computing world, I think these new ways of thinking about, about programming AI um, will, will lead to this sort of, um, of things that you just mentioned. So maybe uh, the, the dream may be uh, um, quite realistic, you know, I think uh, pretty soon. Brian, from a quantum perspective, what did you learn doing this project? Obviously, I'm guessing you learned a lot about music and about composition, but how did you become a better quantum circuit designer with this project? I have to go back about two years. Um, I was, well, I like this story. I, I was reading a paper a day off of archive. I was getting most of the suggestions from Twitter. Somehow I discovered a paper from Professor Miranda called Quantum Computer, Hello Music. And it blew my mind. And we've worked together and it still blows my mind. But the key difference with quantum music, and, and I would compare it to quantum gaming, where you generate some random numbers and you can use it during the game. You can generate some random numbers and you can generate terrain. But the interesting thing about music is it has to sound good. And that's very subjective. And I have no musical talent whatsoever. So when we're playing back these tunes and sometimes it's you know, kind of catchy. It sounds kind of interesting. It's the originals in there, but there's that little bit of variety that sounds good. It just blew my mind. And uh, as we were working on it and, and still as we chat now, I think about all the other possibilities because we started off with, we started off very simple because we, he, uh, Professor Miranda said about getting the core working so we started very simple with that, and then we switched to notes and pitches, and it was it was seamless, an easy transition. So it blows my mind further what we can do next with it. What's the potential? And I'm I don't know where I found his paper from. I'm I'm thrilled I found it. I put it in my first book, Dungeons and Cubits. I I had no real expectation that you know, this much adventure would come out of it. But I'd say that's the key thing I learned. Not only is it possible to create something that's subjective and good, but we haven't even started yet. There's so much more that, you know, I'm waiting for, for more to come out of Professor Miranda's mind just so I can work with it and, and see what it can do and then have him play it back and just blow my mind some more. Would a larger quantum computer, a better quantum computer help you or you're perfectly fine with just a handful of qubits? Well, a handful of qubits are okay at this point because we worked out a compression system. So when we switched to notes and pitches, it was a nine bit binary string, but we don't need nine qubits. We were able to compress that down to four qubits, four qubits, five qubits. 
The advantage of better quality qubits, though, would be in the error handling. So if we have ABC, we can generate D or E. The problem is if noise makes us generate an F, we don't have a BCF in the transition matrix, and that's a problem. So there is a lot of error handling that we had to throw at it. So you've got the simulator that you know, is pretty precise, but it's you know, not as interesting. Then you've got real qubits singing far better than I can possibly do. And But you get those that BCF, we just can't work with that. We I'd really prefer qubits that if we want 70% and 30%, they're at least pretty close with, you know, some weird quantum fluctuations some quantum variety, but it still has to follow the rules or you get error messages. So better qubits are better. Um, but then it's, it's exponential. So, uh, uh, five qubits gives us uh, 32 different combinations. So each additional qubit doubles that. So you would need a very long, complex tune to really run out of, or to need additional qubits. And how long does the process take? So if you take a Bach cello sonata, take it through the learning phase, how long does it take to start generating music from that? The learning phases, with the size of the pieces that we use, was instantaneous, practically. Then the slow part was running on a real quantum hardware. But as soon as we were done with it, I started thinking of new ideas of how we can speed that up. So I'm really looking forward to the next round and just uh, overhauling pieces of it like that. We can speed up the quantum part. But most of the, the classical parts are practically instantaneous it's pretty quick i mean it, it depends it, it depends what, what we do with it for example i am i am interested in real-time interaction right so real time is not possible yet because of the connection to the cloud and blah 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 but in a hypothetical world what i want to do is to be playing with my instrument and open a window for the quantum machine to listen what I'm playing, and then you know play responses back to me or accompaniments and so on. So you know I would like to jam with uh, you know with with a quantum machine. So for for this reason and um, for this purpose, the uh, what we've got is pretty instantaneous. We would do that you know in 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 a in a sec. You know it, it is real time. Now. Um, the, the other vein of research would be to train the system with uh, large amounts of information. Uh, you know, let's say take the repertoire of uh, John Coltrane, put in the system, and see you know if the system can generate melodies that are in the style of uh, John Coltrane, for example. So these are you know these would then depend on how many files you use to train the system and so on and so forth. But I would say that the um, what we are doing is much faster than, let's say, in the deep neural networks and things like that. You know, it, it is, that's the beauty of what we've got. You know, it's so neat, it's so simple, and so smart that, that you know, it, it's almost unbelievable when we came up with it. You know, I think Brian was also very surprised that such a simple, elegant mode of encoding 
these transitions in the amplitudes of the quantum states. You know, it's almost as natural, you know, is as natural as it can be. And it sounds, listening to you guys, it sounds like this is just the start and there's lots more work and additional ideas that are going on. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to speak again in the future with the Qubit Choir or the Qubit Orchestra or the Qubit Band. Uh, most definitely. Next. Yeah, most definitely. So watch this space. <laughs> how, um, how can people get in touch with both of you to learn more about uh, your work? Um, the best thing to do is to go to archive and, um, uh, and have a look at the paper we posted up there. It's, uh, it's called um, uh, uh, Teaching Qubits to Sing, Mission Impossible. Um, and um, our emails are there on the paper, so just email us, and uh, we'll be happy to to interact with people there. And uh, most importantly, I think uh, suggestions and um, you know, ideas that uh, things that uh, we spot in the paper that we had not thought of uh, before that would be very welcome. Excellent. So, uh, Eduardo, Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure.